0: Today, we pick the brains of one of the brightest minds in Jordan, a top Arab scientist who scrutinizes ancient human genomes to reconstruct history and sift the evidence for a catalogue of diseases. Rana Dajani, who teaches biology and biotechnology at the Hashemite University in Jordan and who is a Radcliffe Fellow at Harvard, is an authority on the genetics of the Circassian and Chechen populations in Jordan. At Harvard, Dajani is writing a book that documents the challenges that women face in academia, and that Nature Middle East had exclusively read and reviewed on nature.com slash East ahead of its publishing. In this episode, the Jenny talks to us at length about ancient human migration and ancient DNA sequences, and how Jordan became an important part of two recent nature studies into ancient viral sequences that reveal a lot about hepatitis B virus currently infecting over 250 million people worldwide. Welcome to the Nature Middle East podcast, broadcasting from Cairo, Egypt. Every episode we highlight exciting research from the Arabic-speaking Middle East and stories of emerging science. Rana, let's talk about ancient human genomes and what it tells us about the modern portfolio of diseases. For the general listener and even someone like myself, it might not be clear why we have to go way, way back in time in order to learn about our genomes when we can simply examine and sequence modern ones. So why do we need to do this? Why is this field thriving? And why is it important to begin with?
1: Uh, So part of our biology and part of the research has shown that we as human beings have a blueprint uh, and that's how we have evolved as a species. And how all you know other living organisms have evolved, and it's all based on our DNA, uh, which for every individual or every species is called the genome, which is the collection of all the information that would code uh, the development of a, of a fully uh, living mature uh, organism. Now. Uh, So we're interested in studying genomes. And with the discovery of DNA in the uh, mid-20th century and then later with the uh, sequencing of the whole human genome in the early 21st century, we now have the the information uh, and the knowledge to explore more and understand our biology as well. Also, uh, in the last 10 years, there has been a huge advancement and explosion of technology to give us the tools and the skills At very low cost to be able to analyze and sequence genomes of different human beings in different contexts uh, and even digging up ancient uh, DNA whether through its bone or or other material to try to understand that DNA from the different uh, stages of human evolution. So it's those techniques and solutions that have given us the, the, the capability and the capacity to do that that we couldn't do before and to do it at a large scale because when you even have a piece of DNA that you want to sequence it's not enough to sequence it once you want to sequence it multiple times to increase your accuracy uh, and sensitivity so that you can really produce uh, data and information that is reliable that you can use to compare with other um, samples and other genomes Uh, so that's why Really, people are really excited and interested about studying genomes. And also, we have started to understand even better how these genomes change as, as cells replicate and make copies of the DNA, what happens, uh, what is the, uh, how, how, um, the fidelity of that replication, uh, what are the mutations that get introduced as DNA is being replicated, what are the uh, mutations that are being introduced in the life cycle of one cell, and how that gets replicated uh, uh, unintentionally, And what is the impact of that on the cell and therefore on the whole organism? So all these are questions that we as scientists address and want to understand more. Now, we we are always, always as human beings curious about our past. We want to understand where we came from, what happened on that journey of of where we came from, whether we came from out of Africa, what were the different migration routes, uh, what are the different... uh, impacts of the different environments that we have been exposed to, uh, whether when I speak of an environment, whether it's the physical environment or it's the biological environment, our interaction with other species, and, when, and I'm talking more about viruses and bacteria and microbiome and how that has affected uh, our DNA, our genome and our evolution. So all these are really important questions that are coming to the forefront because we have the knowledge and we have the tools to allow us to ask those questions.
0: I'm actually curious about the work you're doing in Jordan. Can we talk a bit more about that? So in Jordan, we uh,
1: Jordan is mainly uh, uh, populated by a, a population that's from Arab descent, uh, which is a very, very diverse population, by the way, <laughs> because of the huge migrations and intermarrying, uh, because of the migrant kind of uh, uh, society, and, it be- and because it's a, it's a bridge between continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe, there's a lot of moving around, so there's a lot of diversity. However, in Jordan, we have uh, two ethnic populations that immigrated from southern Russia 150 years ago. Uh, and these two populations are the Circassians who come from the Caucasus Mountains of southern Russia and the Chechians who come from Chechnya, the country as it is, it is called today. And, and these two populations settled in Jordan uh, and they maintained their ethnicity, their culture, by not marrying outside their, their uh, ethnic group. Uh, and so through that their gene pool has remained homogeneous and almost identical to the gene pool in their respective countries, uh, whether southern Russia or the Chechnyan uh, uh, nation. And and so for that, in those uh, original homelands, they had been isolated and remained there for thousands of years. So their gene pool is pretty homogeneous, and we can use it to understand and study different diseases uh, different predisposition, genetic factors that could predispose you to complex diseases such as diabetes or cardiovascular disease or even cancer uh, or neurodegenerative diseases in a way that would benefit all of humanity.
0: Okay, so my impression is that you've become world experts on these two populations, specifically in relation to diseases like diabetes, and that was your foot in the door somehow to become part of perhaps a bigger and very important research that was done later in Harvard, UC Berkeley, Cambridge, University of Copenhagen, and several other international institutions. So how did how did it all come together?
1: So because we we, we publish all our work and we, we we've been we became known because we have these DNA database bank for these two populations uh, from southern Russia, uh, but from modern humans. Uh, we were uh, contacted by, actually, the University of California, Berkeley, by Rasmus Nielsen. This is how the story started. You know, nothing is simple. <laughs> they contacted us and they said, we, uh, they have, a, along with a bigger group from University of Cambridge, England, and uh, University of Copenhagen, that they have uh, uh, almost 137 ancient genomes coming from ancient uh, skeletons and pieces of bone that they had uh, discovered in the past uh, year, you know, a few decades, uh, from, the, from the area of Asia Minor and Euro-Asia. And they wanted to sequence those ancient genomes, but they had to compare them to a modern genome of people who live in that area today to see how humans have evolved, what has changed, and so on. And so when they start, so of course we opened, we said, yes, we would love to work with you. And so we sent them our our samples. They did the whole genome sequencing and they started comparing the ancient genomes, some as ancient as 11,000 years ago, uh, to our modern day uh, samples that we have. And through that collaboration, they discovered multiple things. Uh, whether it was about human migration or uh, horse domestication, and, as you mentioned, the history of the hepatitis B virus and how it has evolved uh, with human beings along the past 4,500 years. And that's when Harvard came in and was part of this study. So what happened for that is that people believed that hepatitis B had only evolved maybe a few hundred years ago, at most uh, 1,000 or so. And now all of a sudden we were finding traces of hepatitis B in DNA that comes from 4,500 year ago samples. So this was the big, uh, really, discovery. And now trying to look and compare the ancient virus with the modern-day virus and see how it has evolved, how it has changed. and, And from that we can hope to discover better solutions for prevention and therapy for hepatitis B and then hopefully other viruses uh, going forward, like hepatitis C, which is very prevalent in, in Egypt and other Arab countries.
0: You're listening to a new episode of Nature Malays podcast. I'm Pakinam Amir, and today we're discussing research into prehistoric DNA in light of two recent studies that provide a clearer picture of the true origin and early history of HBV. They help us understand the contributions of natural and cultural changes to disease burden. This kind of research can be very relevant to the Arab Middle East. I was wondering about ways we can encourage, like, equally important research in ancient human genome here in the region. How do we make similar collaborations happen here? And, and how resource intensive is this type of research?
1: That's a great question. And it's a very important one, especially for all the uh, uh, young scientists who go abroad and get their training, get their PhDs, and then want to come home to build a good science uh environment and in, in academia and universities and research institutions in the Middle East. It is possible, uh, it's not easy. it's about knowing to ask the right question. Uh, so most of what I learned is that when I got back from doing my PhD uh, from the US as a Fulbright, I came back. I couldn't do the same research I was doing in in the U.S. because it's very expensive. uh, It needs a a huge team, a skilled team, especially for sustainability going forward. Uh, And so I started started thinking that what I learned is the skills and the tools of how to be a scientist, how to think in a scientific way. So I started making observations around me, trying to find uh, the right observation, to ask the right question that would allow me to do uh, world-class science, on a shoestring budget, so to speak, with minimal uh, technical expertise. And to me, it's the famous uh, uh, saying uh, from uh, uh, one of the physicist Nobel Prize winners, it's seeing, what is a scientist? A scientist is seeing what everybody sees, but thinking what nobody has thought. So, uh, and, and, and that sometimes requires you to change fields, to switch gears, Right. But a scientist is a scientist. And that's when I looked around me and rather than working on signaling transduction and pure uh, uh, molecular biology, I started. uh, That's when I noticed that we have two ethnic populations in Jordan and who I have a treasure right in my backyard.
0: Okay, so what's the next step for you?
1: So our lab, which has this DNA data bank, we're also always collecting more and more DNA to increase our sample size. Uh, We're also uh, looking to collaborate with labs around the world who are interested in studying how different disease mechanisms evolve, especially in complex diseases such as diabetes, cardiovascular and hypertension, and cancer, uh, and specifically in neurodegenerative diseases, because these are, you know, the etiology of these diseases are not known, they're very complex, and because our two populations are very unique in their ancient lineage, that they may have mutations that could lead us to understand more uh, the biology of, of cells and, and so help us develop better therapy and prevention. And we actually published uh, a novel gene risk factor uh, for diabetes in these two populations that hadn't been reported before. So there's a huge potential uh, to work together to, to uncover these things. And also, it's a, it's a call of interdisciplinary work. So just as in the big consortium we were part of, where it was linguistics, historians, archaeologists, and genetists working together, uh, understanding ancient human migration, understanding horse domestication, and understanding hepatitis B, uh, now we can help together to bring these fields together to create new science. Because with all the challenges we're facing as scientists, no longer can someone alone in one lab uh, you know, find the solution. It's about collaborative work, interdisciplinary work, And actually, the creativity and innovation happens at those interdisciplinary boundaries. And we have been part of that um, interdisciplinary approach, innovative approach, uh, as a lab in Jordan.
0: Tomorrow, Rana Dejeni writes to Nature Middle East about navigating minimal resources and practical limitations in the Arab world to establish a world-class lab in Jordan. Her commentary, Dream Big, Even When the Goal Seems Impossible, is a heart-to-heart dedicated to our readers about her own personal journey. Make sure you check it out. If you've enjoyed this episode, do follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes. You can also subscribe to our bi-weekly newsletter to have the latest news and feature stories delivered right to your email. I'm Pakina Maamer. Thank you for listening.